Greetings, everyone. It's my joy to be with you via the internet once again. I wish we could be together, but unfortunately we can't. But this morning I want to address some of the issues that we see going on in our country. I know we're all very concerned. And I've entitled my discourse to you this morning, Anarchy and the American Nightmare. During the first week of June, I tweeted the following. The problem in America is not systemic racism, income inequality, or bad cops. The problem in America is human depravity and satanic deception. And the answer is the saving and transforming power of the gospel of Jesus Christ. We need proclamation, not another conversation. Well, one of my publishers read that and immediately contacted me and asked if I would be willing to write a gospel tract that would expand upon that and, and uh, they would in turn uh, do all of the graphics and so forth. And now we have at least a temporary sample of that track uh, on our um, website. If you're looking at this, you can see it's a front and back, it's a trifold type of thing. And we're going to have a web version of that probably coming out next week. But the title of the track that I wrote is this, America the Beautiful, but the word beautiful is crossed off and you see battlefield, America the battlefield, the neglected solution. And I want to talk a little bit about what I have in this track and take you to several passages of scripture that I trust will give us a very clear understanding of God's perspective of all of the chaos and deception that we see going on around us. I'll read just a little bit of the first part of the track. I say this, all normal people were horrified to see the murder of George Floyd. Sharing this outrage, Attorney General William Barr recently stated, quote, our free society depends on the rule of law, the assurance that ordinary citizens can go about their lives without being subject to arbitrary violence or fear. When the rule of law breaks down, the promise of America does also. He went on to add, unfortunately, the aftermath of George Floyd's death has produced the second challenge to the rule of law. While many have peacefully expressed their anger and grief, others have hijacked protests to engage in lawlessness. And then, as you look at the track, the heading says, what is the root cause of all of this? And the track goes on to say, the protesters say it's systemic racism and racially motivated police brutality. A claim, others argue, is a politically motivated myth that cannot be supported by the data. So the debate rages on and on, as it has for years, with no solution. Later in the track, I say, America has a sin problem, not a skin problem. A satanic problem, not a social 
problem. The anarchy, the rioting, the looting, the deception, the bullying of Antifa, and the entitlement mafia known as Black Lives Matter is frankly a preview of what is to come, especially if the leftist progressive Democrats gain power. And folks, it's going to become exceedingly worse when the church is taken away and the world is under the rule of the Antichrist. Now, certainly what we're seeing is no surprise to Bible-believing Christians. We've seen this storm gathering for many years. Faithful preachers have warned about what is happening in our culture because the gospel of Christ is not being preached. The world is being prepared for the diabolical rule of the Antichrist. In the first century, under the inspiration of the Spirit, the Apostle Paul said in 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, beginning in verse 7, for the mystery of lawlessness is already at work. Only he who now restrains will do so until he is taken out of the way referring to the Holy Spirit. Then that lawless one will be revealed whom the Lord will slay with the breath of his mouth and bring to an end by the appearance of his coming. That is, the one whose coming is in accord with the activity of Satan. With all power and signs and false wonders and with all the deception of wickedness for those who perish because they did not receive the love of the truth so as to be saved. For this reason, God will send upon them a deluding influence so that they will believe what is false in order that they all may be judged who did not believe the truth but took pleasure in wickedness. Dear friends, the deceptive propaganda that we see in our country today is not true. What we're seeing is not racially motivated police brutality. It it is not systemic racism. Frankly, all of that is absurd. Sure, there's going to be bad cops here and there. And sure, there's going to be some measure of racism. I mean, it's in every culture. It's been that way and it always will be until the Lord returns. In fact, the Jewish people have been the most persecuted people on the planet. And they still stay at the top of the list of those who are hated. But unfortunately, we see people buying all of this propaganda, buying the lie. But frankly, what this is all about ultimately is entitlement, the redistribution of wealth, the end of capitalism, the end of the Constitution, the end of America as we know it. And frankly, whenever you're bullied into believing a certain ideology, like, for example, the propaganda of the Black Lives Matter movement, whenever you're bullied into something, you know that it is not a righteous cause that honors the Lord. Can you imagine the Lord doing that, or his apostles, or the people in the church in his day, or in this day for that matter? And whenever you're bullied into repenting of sins, that you never committed. You know that something nefarious is going on. 
domestic terrorists and entitlement opportunists have, have hijacked the George Floyd murder protests. And as you know, I'm sure you've seen it on the news, they've, they've taken over six blocks, six square blocks in Seattle. They took over the East Precinct Station of the Seattle Police Department. Unimaginable. They've taken over the City Hall, demanding that the mayor resigned after they drove the police out of the area, and they declared it an autonomous zone. In fact, it's called Capitol Hill Autonomous Zone, CHAZ for short. Now, I can assure you, if you go in there, you're not going to see them reading the Bible, you're not going to hear them worshiping the Lord, and you're not going to see John 3.16 on any of those walls in the graffiti. They call the Seattle Police Department, quote, a terrorist cell that occupied this area known as the Seattle Police Department. Unbelievable. The police around the country are resigning. I, I read this morning that 10 members of a SWAT team down north of, uh, of, of Miami resigned because the politicians are not supporting them. When you read the list of demands of those people, for example, the anarchists there in Seattle, it's indicative of entitlement socialists. They live in a fool's paradise. Can you imagine defunding the police, abolishing the police? I mean, this is every criminal's dream. This is insanity. Now, to be sure, societies must have laws that, that correct injustices. And every person must have due process under the law, equal protection under the law. But this is not what these social justice warriors want. They demand equality of power. They demand equality of position, of property, of prosperity, of status in the culture. Everybody deserves that, they say, except, of course, Bible-believing Christians. This requires, naturally, a, a permanent underclass that see themselves as victims. And social justice warriors must therefore incite class warfare and ethnic tensions in order to get elected. They've been doing this for years. Now, this shouldn't surprise us. Again, fallen man loves to wear the victim badge. We all love to shift the blame to somebody else. We never want to take responsibility for our own action. This began back in the garden. Remember, by nature, man sees himself as deprived, not depraved. And because of pride and selfishness, when someone mistreats us or when someone disagrees with us or doesn't give us what we want, what we demand, our default position is always to attack and blame others and then claim the victim status. And that's what we see going on. And the more you've been victimized, whether real or perceived, the more power and authority you have to demand social justice. The more oppressed, the more deserving you are of special treatment. And of course, in this narcissistic, self-centered culture, people are hypervigilant to look for ways where they have been offended so that they can wear the victim badge. But dear friends, true justice 
and true standards for justice cannot be defined by the culture, nor can they be imposed by the same culture or with the same authority as that of Scripture. What sinful man needs to hear is not how he can be delivered from social injustices, the injustice of man, but how he can be delivered from the righteous justice of a holy God. By the way, if you want to know more about our church's position on social justice, go to the website, look under resources, and click on the statement on social justice and the gospel. Well, this morning I want to give you God's perspective on these things. I wish to show you the two root problems of America from the Word of God and then close with the solution. First of all, we're going to see that man is far more sinful than we can imagine. And secondly, we must understand that Satan is far more deceitful than we can imagine. And then finally, we must understand that Christ is far more powerful than we can imagine. And frankly, without an understanding of these simple truths, the world will get worse, and we believe it will. Biblically, we know that it will. America's going to get worse, and sadly, most people are going to perish in their sins and spend an eternity in hell. Now, If your spiritual and moral authority is not the Word of God, then what I'm about to show you from the Word of God will be utter foolishness to you. All you have is the wisdom of man, which God calls foolishness. In Proverbs 1 and verse 7, we read that the fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge, but fools despise wisdom and instruction. So if you have no fear of God... In other words, if you have no reverential awe of him as the creator, as the sovereign ruler and the holy judge of his universe, and you don't believe that he has spoken to us in his word, the Bible, and through his son, the Lord Jesus Christ, then again, what I'm about to say is going to be foolishness to you. And I want to say kindly but forthrightly, you live in a fool's paradise But if your spiritual and moral authority is the word of God and you fear him with utmost reverence and awe and you love his law, you love his word, what I'm about to show you will be words of truth, words of life, words of hope. Well, first of all, we must understand if we're going to address the issues in America that number one, man is far more evil than we can imagine. And the evidence here is overwhelming. All we have to do is look around, but certainly God has revealed this to us in his word. Going back to the tract that I've written, one of the headings says, God's perspective on people. And there you will read Romans 3, verses 10 through 18. I want to expand upon that for a few minutes. In Romans chapter 3, beginning in verse 10, We read, as it is written. In other words, what Paul is saying here under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit is that his case is not built upon conjecture or human reasoning, but it's built upon the absolute authority of divine revelation. 
as it has been written in the Old Testament scriptures. And that's where he's going to take us. And here the Apostle Paul goes to the Old Testament to produce a 14-count indictment that's divided into three separate categories, each exposing a unique domain of man's sin. It's as though we're going into a courtroom here and he's presenting the evidence. And those three unique domains of man's sin pertain to, number one, our nature, secondly, our speech, and thirdly, our behavior. First of all, notice what he says regarding our nature. And once again, this is where we need to begin if we're going to understand not only what is going on in America, but how to deal with that problem. First of all, our nature, verse 10, he says, there is none righteous, not even one. Verse 11, there is none who understands. There is none who seeks for God. Verse 12, all have turned aside. Together they have become useless. There is none who does good. There is not even one. My, what an abysmal reality. What an indictment against man that is so proud and thinks he has all of the answers. He says, none are righteous. Now, although man can do good things, and he does that occasionally, none are righteous. The term righteous in the original language refers to being perfectly obedient to the law of God, to be innocent, to be faultless, to be guiltless, perfectly accountable to God. Only Jesus of Nazareth ever met that standard. Worse yet, he said, there is none who understands. The term, under, the term understands in the original language um, means to put together. Uh, it could be translated comprehend. They do not have the knowledge of those things that are necessary to understand who God is and who we are in light of his holiness so as to be saved. They don't understand, for example, the doctrine of regeneration, where a man is raised from spiritual death to spiritual life. They don't understand the doctrine of sanctification, where man is gradually being conformed into the image of Christ. They don't understand the doctrine of glorification and so forth. They don't understand the gospel. So because of man's nature, he is, shall we say, spiritually retarded. He cannot grasp the depths of his sin and the glory of the cross. He cannot grasp the message of the gospel. He doesn't understand his need for a righteousness beyond his own, the imputed righteousness of the Lord Jesus Christ. It's all lunacy to him. It's foolishness to him. Paul speaks of this in 1 Corinthians 2 and verse 14. A natural man does not accept the things of the Spirit of God, for they are foolishness to him, and he cannot understand them because they are spiritually appraised. Appraised, anachronitai, a, a term in the original language, that, that a judicial term, frankly, that that describes a person that is incapable of rendering a decision because he cannot recognize the facts that are presented before him. He has no discernment. He cannot examine things properly. He can't understand it. So naturally, 
As we read here, there is none who seeks for God. Verse 12, we read that all have turned aside. The term means they have deviated from the right way to go in the wrong way. Together, he goes on to say, they have become useless. The Greek word that is used to translate the Hebrew word is one that describes spoiled milk. It speaks of milk that has turned sour. And the idea here is that man has become sour. He's become useless. Something to be discarded. That which is unprofitable. And then he goes on to say, there is none who does good. Now, this speaks of the course of a man's life that is characterized by moral integrity consistent with the perfect standard of, of God's righteousness as revealed in his word and in the person and work of Christ. There is none who does good. There is not even one. Yeah, pretty well covers it. So the evidence substantiating the charge that, that all men are under sin is here presented beginning with God's testimony against man's very nature. But then his charge is further corroborated by the undeniable evidence in man's speech. We see this as verses 13 through 14. Notice at the beginning of verse 13, their throat is an open grave. Now, folks, this adds new meaning to bad breath, to halitosis. Jesus made it clear in Matthew 15, 18, that it's the things that proceed out of the mouth that come from the heart. Isaiah, you will recall, when he stood in the presence of, of, of a thrice holy God and was exposed by the light of his glory, he said, woe is me, I am undone, for I am a man of unclean lips. He knew that what came from his mouth was a betrayal of what was in his heart. Now, the stench of a rotting corpse is in an open grave is probably the worst of all odors. It is vile. And the imagery here is that even as an open grave reveals the rancid content within, so too the throat reveals the rottenness of the heart, a heart that is wretched and vile a heart that is so filled with loathsome thoughts that, that it can be likened to a decomposing corpse. Folks, all you have to do is look at the graffiti on the walls and the buildings as a result of all of these riots, and you get an example of this. All you have to do is listen to the rhetoric, listen to the speeches, which are frankly nothing more than emotional rants bereft of facts always placing the blame on someone else. It's sickening. It's vile. It makes you want to turn away. Verse 13 goes on to say, with their tongues, they keep deceiving. Doleo in the original language, it's a, a term that carries the idea of a decoy or um, luring prey with some kind of a bait or a trap or a hook. And it's interesting that it's also an imperfect tense uh, verb, which indicates that this is a constant, continual, habitual action. So in other words, he's saying that, 
the natural man, the man without Christ, is a habitual liar. He is a fraud. He will deceive you to act in his best interest, not in yours. Now, as I was examining some of the writings of the various Black Lives Matter people, you know, I will, I will agree that there are some things that may need to be corrected. Some things, certainly if there's any kind of racial injustice, you, you know, we need to do everything we can to deal with that. But most of what they say is propaganda, not rooted in facts, and ultimately used to lead us in a direction that is contrary to what God would have us do in his word. I mean, they demand social justice, yet they support planned parenthood that kills thousands of black babies every year. They turn a blind eye to the black-on-black homicides in their own communities, and on it goes. So yes, man with his tongue keeps deceiving. I think of the deceptions with this COVID-19 pandemic. My goodness, talk about grossly exaggerated models that have been used to terrify people. And we're told that we need to shelter in place. We're told that we can't go to work. And we've watched people's businesses and their lives and their, their, their life savings, the, the, the economy being destroyed, suicide and, and alcohol and drug abuse, domestic violence, uh, all of these things are skyrocketing. They tell us to obey the rules of social distancing, and yet they applaud protesters by the thousands in the streets. They arrest you if you go to work but not if you loot. Absolutely absurd. You can't operate your business, but it's okay to burn businesses to the ground because, after all, you've been mistreated. Liquor stores and abortion clinics can stay open, but not churches. No, no, can't have that. We might spread the virus. We're not allowed to go to church, but it's okay to occupy a police precinct to occupy a city hall, to occupy a portion of a city and force the authorities to obey your demands. Imagine if hundreds of Christians decided that we were going to go downtown Nashville. Let's get, you know, thousands of us together. By the way, I'm not recommending we do this. Blatantly unbiblical. But imagine if we did and we began to riot and loot and burn businesses and take over police precincts. Let's cordon off six square blocks down in Nashville. And let's demand justice for all of the innocent people that are killed every day in these liberal inner cities. Let's demand that the government stop funding abortions. Let's demand that the government stop funding social programs that reward unwed mothers. Let's get rid of the rainbow flag. Let's outlaw pornography. Let's outlaw homosexuality. Let's get rid of the LGBTQ agenda. Let's get that out of our schools. Imagine if we did that. Well, those of us who are older have seen this movie before. I remember it 
in the early years of my life. I remember in 1969, there was a terrorist by the name of Bill Ayers who founded the domestic terrorist organization called the Weather Underground, a self-described communist revolutionary group that sought to overthrow imperialism. And they bombed public buildings, they, they, in, including police stations, even the U.S. Capitol, as I recall, some at the Pentagon and so forth. He is quoted of saying, quote, kill all the rich people, break up their cars and apartments, bring the revolution home, kill your parents. That's where it really is at. He also said the only path to the final defeat of imperialism is the building of socialism. And the building of socialism is revolutionary war. And the key word to their whole movement was resistance. And of course, we've seen this resistance even before President Trump got put into office. And it continues to this very day. An author by the name of Terry Turchi, who wrote In Their Own Words, has summarized uh, the six-fold strategy of the Weather Underground that, that was written in a document called the, the, the Prairie Fire, the Prairie Fire document. I, I read, read through it. I didn't read it real, real closely because it's so vile, but uh, it's a frightening thing. And, and what's really frightening is much of what it describes is the platform of the progressive wing of the Democratic Party. The six-fold strategy includes, number one, destroy capitalism. Number two, the weapon of choice is systemic racism and police racism. Number three, identify the victim classes. Number four, organize the victim classes. Number five, engage in international solidarity, solidarity with the global movement. And finally, attack and dethrone God. You see, their world cannot coexist with biblical Christianity. Now, we see this ideology manifested in, in a lot of ways. I'm thinking uh, particularly here of late of, of the whole white privilege awareness propaganda, propaganda. This idea that you need to make white people feel guilty because of their so-called privilege and convince them that, that they're all racists. Make them feel guilty about all of that. And then get white kids to identify with, with anti-racism, that whole movement, and an anti-police movement, which will become anti-imperialism, anti-capitalism, anti-Americanism, a movement that will ultimately require armed resistance. And folks, this is where this is heading. Indeed, at the end of verse 13, with their tongues they keep deceiving. It goes on in verse 13 and says, the poison of asps is under their lips. As you probably know, poisonous snakes have a sack of poison under their lips so that when their fangs are extended outward um, in, in aggression, the, the, their, their fangs press upon a sack, causing it to squirt venom through the hollow fangs into its victim. But the most deadly bite that we could ever experience would be the bite of another human, the poison of another human, those that speak lies against us in order to harm us, those who tell us things that are false, 
those who deceive us with false religions and phony grievances in order to manipulate us to ultimately do their bidding. I think of the whole Russian collusion hoax. What a perfect example of this, designed to get rid of the president. In verse 14, he goes on to say, whose mouth is full of cursing and bitterness. Cursing speaks of, of, of malediction, of slander, of extreme defamation with the intent to, to, to publicly destroy another person. That's what man does. And also, he uses the term bitterness. It carries the idea of just extreme hatred and wicked intention. And I want you to notice that it's not so much what man does, but what he is that is being described here. In Psalm 64, beginning in verse 2, we read how David was well acquainted with this kind of person. And he asks the Lord to hide him from that kind of person. And he describes them as those who do iniquity, who have sharpened their tongue like a sword. He goes on to say they've aimed bitter speech as their arrow to shoot from concealment at the blameless. Suddenly they shoot at him and do not fear. They hold fast to themselves an evil purpose. They talk of laying snares secretly and on and on it goes. So folks, because of our nature and because of our speech, we are more sinful than we can imagine. But thirdly, he describes our behavior. Verse 15, their feet are swift to shed blood. Now this speaks of man's predisposition, his proclivity to do evil, to kill, to murder. And human history is filled with examples of, of barbaric cruelty, of, of savage human-on-human -human torture and violence, from wars to domestic violence, acts so heinous, so gruesome that, that they defy explanation. They, they can only be described as demonic. I think of abortions. They occur at the rate of about 1.6 million every year, four every minute, one every 15 seconds. I was reading that abortion kills the equivalent of the population of the city of Houston or the state of Nebraska every year. Indeed, man is swift to do violence, and he is slow to do peace. Verse 16, destruction and misery are in their paths. Destruction, suntrima in the original language, an interesting term. It speaks of, of that which is broken or shattered, that, that which is, um, is, is a fracture, a calamity, causing complete and utter destruction. And he uses the term misery, a term that refers to extreme hardship and trouble, wretchedness, calamity. And of course, we've grown used to this. We see it every day in the news, on television. Verse 17, in the path of peace, have they not known? And indeed, dear friends, there will be no peace until the Prince of Peace comes and establishes himself as King of kings and Lord of lords. Now, why is all of this? Why? All of these problems with man's nature, his speech, and his behavior, it's because of sin. 
problem in America today is not a lack of social justice. That's ludicrous. The summary is really found in verse 18. Here's the answer. There is no fear of God before their eyes. You look at these people doing the rioting. You look at many of our politicians, most of our politicians. They have no fear of God, which is the beginning of wisdom, which fools hate. If we look at Scripture, we see that the fear of God includes three things. First of all, there is that type of fear that is sheer terror, the the, the fear of standing before a holy God and being found guilty as we know we are, that kind of judgment that would lead a man to salvation. And then secondly, there is a submissive fear, a a fear of divine chastening. it motivates us to obedience. Yes, we love the Lord as, as believers, but, but we also fear him. I, I want to do what honors him because I love him, but I also want to do what honors him because I don't want his chastening in my life. And we know that he will do this because he loves us. And that's why the fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge, it's the beginning of wisdom. In fact, in Proverbs 16, verse 6, we read, By the fear of the Lord, one keeps away from evil. I want to avoid that chastening in my life. So the fear of the Lord includes sheer terror, submissive fear, and finally, reverential awe. And this is what motivates us to worship. This is the heart of worship. We are so awestruck by who God is. We are so overwhelmed by His perfections. And and we are so filled with gratitude for his mercy and grace and love that we fall before him in reverential awe and breathless adoration. But dear friends, the point here is sinful man knows nothing of any of this. So the evidence is in. Whether you look at man's nature, his speech, or his behavior, You see that in every area of human life, there is corruption. In every area of human life, there is contamination by sin. It is undeniable. All of us are guilty. All of us are under sin. So what's the verdict in verse 19? In in verse 19, he says, Now we know that whatever the law says... It speaks to those who are under the law that every mouth may be closed and all the world may become accountable to God. In other words, every human being is accountable to God. We are all under the authority of our creator. And God has rendered his verdict against us. And that verdict is guilty. Verse 20 goes on to say, because by the works of the law, no flesh will be justified in his sight, for through the law comes the knowledge of sin. You see, man cannot meet the demands of the law. And at the very heart of the law, we are to love the Lord our God with all our heart, mind, soul, and strength. And we are to love our neighbor as we love ourselves. We are unable to do that because of our nature. Therefore, man is utterly doomed. He is condemned. He's in in desperate need of forgiveness and a righteousness beyond his own. The righteousness that only Christ can give us 
when we place our faith in him. Going back to the track, one of the headings says, God's perspective on sin. And there I write, man is, quote, alienated from God, Colossians 1.21. And according to Ephesians 2, 1 and 2, man walks according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air, referring to Satan, of the spirit that is now working in the sons of disobedience. That's how God sees us. He goes on to say in Ephesians 4, 18 and following that, that man walks in the futility of his mind being darkened in his understanding, excluded from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in him, because of the hardness of his heart. And he has given himself over to every kind of impurity with greediness. Folks, that's the problem in America today. But because God is infinitely holy and just, we know that all sin must be punished and the good news of the gospel is that sin has been punished. The Lord Jesus Christ bore the wrath that we deserve in his body. And when we place our faith in him, our sins are forgiven and we receive his righteousness. That's the glory of the gospel. So man is far more evil than we can imagine. But secondly, if we're going to deal with any of the problems in America, we must know that Satan is also far more deceitful than we can imagine. Back to the track, one of the headings says, God's perspective on Satan. And there I write, Satan is the ingenious and diabolical general of a demonic army waging an invisible spiritual war to thwart the purposes of God. But an enemy God will one day defeat. And according to 2 Corinthians 4.4, he is the, quote, God of this world who has blinded the minds of the unbelieving that they might not see the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ. And that's what we see today. People hear preachers like me and like you. They hear what we have to say with respect to the gospel. And they laugh, they scoff, they mock, even as they did Noah. Jesus said the devil was a murderer from the beginning. There is no truth in him. He is a liar. He is the father of lies, John 8, 44. So many examples of this. I, I was thinking about this with respect to Adolf Hitler. Hitler was one of Satan's greatest stooges. In his book, Mein Kampf, he posited the lie that there was a Jewish conspiracy to gain world domination and world leadership. Of course, that was a total fabrication. Absolutely no truth in it whatsoever. But this became the very heart of Nazi propaganda that led to World War II. And as a result of that satanic lie and that satanic leader, 85 million people were killed in the span of about five years. 55 million of them innocent civilians. We're used to the lies, aren't we? We're lied to by the media all the time, all of the fake news. I remember when I was in Japan, the only English-speaking television program I could get was CNN. And I could not believe the propaganda. 
No wonder people in the world don't really understand what's going on in America. For generations, the American people have been lied to by the government, by our politicians. Even our teachers tell our children that there is no God, there's no creator. All of the magnificent order that you see in the living systems and in this physical universe began with a, with a big bang some 13 to 15 billion years ago. Yes, children, there, there, there was a, a massive explosion of energy and light, and everything ultimately came from that. Folks, this is a lie. And when we believe that there is no God, then we believe that there is no authority, that there is no accountability, that there is no divine standard of righteousness, that there is no holy law. And so we don't have to worry about violating the law. We don't have to worry about judgment. We certainly don't need a savior. So we can do whatever we want to do. We've been lied to by psychologists and philosophers who tell us that man is basically good and that if you give him the proper education, the proper funding, you know, good jobs, the proper environment, his true nature will show. Yeah, you want to see the true nature, look at what's happening in Seattle today. They tell us that man is basically deprived, not depraved. Oh, no, you wouldn't want to say that. What an insult that would be. That would hurt somebody's self-esteem. So they scoff at man's need for the saving and the transforming power of God through the gospel of Jesus Christ. We've all been lied to by by our college and university professors and the progressive liberals who continue to fan the flames of identity politics with these unbiblical concepts of critical race theory and and intersectionality, which unfortunately are, are the foundational tenets of the Black Lives Matter movement. And of course, if you don't agree with any of that, you are a racist. If you agree with God with respect to what he says about homosexuality being an abomination, well, then you're a homophobic. If a man says that he identifies as a woman and he does everything he can to become a woman or vice versa, and you refuse to join in that delusion, then, oh, you're a transphobic. And on and on it goes. We've been lied to for generations by false religions, by false teachers, even within the ranks of Protestant evangelicalism. Men and, and many women who have populated churches with phony Christians who believe a, a false gospel that cannot save. So as a result, just look at the world around us. We, we can't trust the media. We can't trust our politicians. My goodness, folks, we can't even trust the FBI or the DOJ. And on it goes. Well, why is that? It's because the whole world lies in the power of the evil one. 1 John 5, 19. Now, thankfully, that's only temporary. But that's the way it is right now. So what we see happening in the world around us is no surprise to true Christians. God has warned us in his word that this is what is going to happen. This is what has happened historically in other nations, and it's going to happen to every nation who has no fear of God. 
This is what happens when, according to Romans 1.18, man suppresses the truth in unrighteousness. When man has no fear of God, when man does not honor God, when, when man has no, refuses to give thanks to God, the text says they become futile in their speculations and their foolish heart is darkened. Professing to be wise, they become, became fools. And eventually in the life of every individual and every nation, God's patience eventually runs out. And at that point, he lifts the restraints of evil and he allows man to pursue the consequences of all that he has done, the lusts of his heart. In fact, Paul describes three stages of what is many times called the wrath of divine abandonment in Romans 1. It's found not necessarily in every individual, but certainly in the collective whole of a culture that, that magnifies wickedness. And with each stage, you see that, that there is a progression. It, 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 things get progressively more evil, and the consequences get worse and worse. We read that he gives them over in Romans 1 to three things, sordid immorality, then shameless homosexuality, and then shocking depravity. Let me go over this very briefly. In Romans 1, verse 24, we see how he gives people over to sordid immorality. Therefore, God gave them over. Interesting term, paradidomai in the original language, a very strong, a very intense verb. Uh, it, It was used, for example, in a judicial sense to describe someone being given over to judgment, given over to an executioner. Therefore, God gave them over in the lusts of their hearts to impurity, that their bodies might be dishonored among them. The term lust, epithemia, refers to carnal cravings, that longing for that which is forbidden. And they're, they're, they're longing for impurity, a, a term in the original language that that was used to describe the the putrefaction of of a corpse, the contents of a grave, that which Jews considered to be both both physically and ceremonially unclean. And of course, all of this became a synonym for sexual immorality. So if you're going to reject me, God eventually says, fine, I will just give you over to sordid immorality. And then he moves there from there to shameless homosexuality. And this, of course, is the inversion of the moral and the physical order. Verse 26, for this reason, God gave them over to degrading passions. Degrading means disgraceful. It means shameful. That's what you want. I'll just let you have it. He goes on to say, for their women, women could literally be translated females, exchange the natural function for that which is unnatural. The natural in the original language, it refers to that which is produced by uh, nature, that which is inborn, the the inborn natural instincts of our nature that governs how we act. And the word function refers to use, and it's speaking here of the sexual use of a woman, referring to the normal natural intimacy of sexual intercourse. They... They, 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 don't, they want to pursue that which is unnatural. For that which is unnatural, meaning against nature. 
contrary to the instincts that govern our behavior. Obviously, this is speaking of homosexual behavior among women. Verse 27, in the same way, also the men abandoned the natural function of the woman and burned in their desire toward one another, men with men committing indecent acts. The term, the term burned in the original language literally means to set on fire or to inflame. And what's interesting here, it's in the passive voice, which means they are set on fire in their desire. They have an appetite, a longing, a burning desire to be sexually involved with other men. So God gives people over to sordid immorality, shameless homosexuality, and finally, shocking depravity. Verse 28, and just as they did not see fit to acknowledge God any longer, God gave them over to a depraved mind to do those things which are not proper. Depraved, it means worthless, useless. It was used to describe the, the worthless metals that were rejected by the refiners due to, the, due to their impurity. You see, friends, when a man sees God's revelation of himself, when man sees the glory of God in creation, and he understands it and knows that it's there in his conscience, but he suppresses those truths in unrighteousness. He refuses to grab hold of those truths like the most precious of all treasures imaginable. When he kicks all of that aside, suppresses the truth and unrighteousness, then this is what happens. God just lets him go. Verse 29, it says, being filled with. In other words, their heart will have no room for anything else but what follows in the representative sample of vices that will characterize that kind of person. We don't have time to read that, but you can read it on your own. And it's a perfect description of what we see today. And of course, this helps explain those who simply cannot restrain their flesh, people that, that cannot maintain a life that manifests the righteousness of God. And of course, Satan provides a Disneyland of delights where man can find temporary pleasures and satisfaction for the lusts of his heart. So man is far more evil than we can imagine. Satan is far more deceitful than we can imagine. And finally, Christ is far more powerful than we can imagine. Back to the track, I say God and the gospel. And then underneath that heading, I write this. Because God is holy, all sin must be punished and his justice demands death for sin. But in his love for sinners, he has provided a savior who satisfied his demands for justice. And then I quote 1 Peter 3.18, Christ died for sins once for all, the just for the unjust, in order that he might bring us to God. And then according to Acts 4.12, there is salvation in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven that has been given among men by which we must be saved. The next heading in the track says, God and repentance. When we come to repentant faith in Jesus Christ, our sins are forgiven. Our sins are exchanged for his righteousness and he transforms the desires of our heart. 
And the tract says America needs a bold gospel proclamation, not another political conversation. America needs a changed heart, not another law. America needs a savior, not another politician. America needs faith, hope, and love to replace disbelief, cynicism, and selfishness. And then the tract says, God's call to you to embrace his gift of salvation, of saving grace. And what you read is this, and I close with this thought. God commands you to turn from sin and to trust in his son, Jesus, who lived, died, and rose again for sinners like you and like me. His word is sure in stating that you confess with your mouth Jesus as Lord, quoting from Romans 10, 9 through 11. Confess with your mouth Jesus as Lord and believe in your heart that God has raised him from the dead. If you do that, you will be saved. For with the heart a person believes, resulting in righteousness, and with the mouth he confesses, resulting in salvation. For the scripture says, whoever believes in him will not be disappointed. Oh, dear friends, the anarchy and the American nightmare has a solution, and the solution is the saving and the transforming gospel of Jesus Christ. If you do not know him, I plead with you, I plead with you to examine your heart and to come to repentant faith in Christ. And for those of us who know and love Christ, oh, dear Christian friends, do not hate those who are doing these wicked things. Love them enough to give them the gospel because were it not for God's grace, we would be right there with them. Love them enough to give them the gospel. Give them this tract and other things. And watch what God will do. God will save those whom he has called before the foundations of the earth. And we rejoice in that. Don't be ashamed of the gospel. And don't get sucked into all of the lies. And as we honor him in our life, we will experience the fullness of joy of what it means to serve the living Christ until he calls us to our heavenly home. Let's pray together. Father, thank you for the eternal truths of your word. May we not only understand them, but embrace them wholeheartedly. May we live out the gospel in a way that is so powerful that those who are deceived by their own flesh and by Satan himself, we'll see the light by the power of your word through the agency of your spirit. So, Lord, we commit ourselves to you, thanking you for the hope and the help that is ours in Christ. We pray for our country. Do a mighty work of grace. I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. We pray you've been edified by this presentation. You've been listening to the teaching ministry of Calvary Bible Church in Jolton, Tennessee. For more information on Calvary Bible Church or for more audio, please visit our website at cbctn.org.